The U.S. Army Medical Research Institute of Infectious Diseases and the U.S. Army Medical Research and Development Command, which oversees USAMRID, have to meet three conditions to get funding released by the Department of Defense. One of those conditions is that USAMRID, which was shut down by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in July, has to come back online. The laboratory resumed partial operations in November. The reason I bring this up is that Delegate Karen Lewis Young, a Democrat from Frederick County, mentioned it when discussing a bill about biosafety level three labs before the Maryland House's Health and Government Operations Committee. I'm Heather Mangilio, and this is the In Session Podcast, where we bring Annapolis to you. I'm joined now by Steve Bonell from our Annapolis Bureau. Steve, how is Annapolis? Heather, it's always always fast, always quick, but it's always fun. All right, perfect. Well, um, I guess, should we start off by talking about the BSL-3 lab, Bill? Yeah, for sure. I know, um, you know, what's crazy now at this time of session is, you know, a bunch of members, even from our own delegation, have hearings at the same time, so I couldn't quite get to that hearing, but I understand that uh, you had a chance to watch it today. I did, and let me tell you, it was a quick hearing, which you do not get to witness very often when watching an Annapolis hearing. Yeah, that's uh, that, that's a good point. Um, some are quick, but for the most part, they, they can stretch on for, you know, committee meetings can stretch on for hours, and that depends on the bill. You know, if there's a lot of panels, you know, I've seen multiple times, you know, one or two panels come up with three or four people, and they all testify, so it can take some time for sure. Well, and one of the reasons that this uh, hearing was so quick is that we've talked in the past, but um, the Karen, uh, Karen Lewis Young, who's brought up this bill in the past, decided this year, let's do something different and introduce it as a delegation-sponsored bill um, so that all the county delegation is on it. There's a bill in the House that she was discussing today um, before the House and Government Operations Committee, but there's also a um, cross-file bill in the Senate um, that's sponsored by Senators Huff and Ron Young. Right, and that, right, that always helps to have your local jurisdiction on on board. So um, we'll see how it progresses. But I think that you know, versus last year, that that's a good sign. So yeah, and for for Delegate Lewis Young, this is the sixth time that she's brought this bill, and it passed uh, the c- committee before with a favorable recommendation twice before she said. Um, so she uh, she said you know you know the definition of insanity is doing the same thing the, um multiple times the same way so she right. was going to avoid that definition and try something different by bringing it as a delegation bill um but basically this bill would make it so that biosafety level 3 laboratories which have to um which is biosafety levels are basically um a way to define kind of what kind of work will be done in the laboratory um, when it comes to biological materials um, and pathogens, which are disease-causing con- uh, materials. So something like a biosafety level one laboratory is something you might find in like a high school chemistry lab or high school chemi- uh, bio- biology lab. Um, but when you get to like bio level, um, sa- biosafety level three and four, you're talking labs that you might find on Fort Detrick. So something like Ebola would be handled in a biosafety level four laboratory. Um, something like tularemia, um, although don't quote me on that, but other diseases where there might be um, a vaccine or maybe a possible treatment um, might be handled in biosafety level three, but they're still very serious diseases. Um, And those were the two laboratories that over the summer were shut down um, by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention um, at USAMRID because of biosafety lapses. 
Um, so this bill basically is targeting those biosafety level three labs, and but that are not public, that are not federally funded, because those are already regulated by the federal government. She's focused on the private ones. And she said this really only affects three counties. Frederick is one of them, which is why they brought it as a, de- a county delegation bill, because where there are public uh, biosafety level three and four labs, there's often private ones just because they have such a good symbiotic relationship. Um, the problem is that because they're biosafety level three labs that are private, um, our firefighters and our police and our first responders might not know where they are. And that's what this bill tackles. It's to make it so that there is a registry um, given to the Maryland Department of Health who can then pass it on to first responders so that when a first responder goes into deal with a possible call at one of these laboratories, they know, hey, you're dealing with some high-level pathogens, not um, just, you know, a plain basic high school-level laboratory. Right. Now, uh, again, Heather, I joke that you uh, steal my job over here, but uh, I want to emphasize kind of the last point you made uh, just about uh, this is kind of a first responders protection bill. That's kind of how Delegate Dan Cox put it in a prior delegation meeting. Um, and I think uh, in many ways, while you don't want these laboratories to be known to the public, you obviously want, like you said, those first responders in the event of emergency to know where they are, to know what you know uh, substances they might be testing, uh, just so they're not going in blindsided into a dangerous situation. So... Absolutely. And again, like I mentioned, you know, it, uh, biosafety level threes are not your highest safety level for, uh, labs. Those are the biosafety level four. So even with this bill, we're not talking about private labs that are dealing with Ebola. Um, but if I get a minute, I will try to find an example of a biosafety level three, um, because I believe we talked about those when USAMRID was shut down because they were working on a biosafety level three as well as a biosafety level four. Right, right. I believe the West Nile uh, virus might be the th- level three, but you definitely have a broader knowledge on health stuff. But I, I remember looking up kind of the levels, uh, what diseases are treated, and I believe that was one of them, but don't quote me on that either. <laughs> um, so examples of BSL-3 agents, just so people understand, um, we're talking about things like the plague, um, which is not actually the disease, but rather the bacteria um, that causes it. Um, we're also talking about... Um, Venezuelan equine encephalitis, um, which is a disease um, that is about you know, uh, that also can cause some nasty side effects and some nasty um, symptoms. Um, and you are also talking about tularemia, which is also known as deer and rabbit fever, which um, I mentioned earlier in the episode. But um, those are all things that, as an example, those were things that USAMID was working on in their BSL-3 lab. So you can be dealing with other things. Um, one of the things about BSL-3 um, agents versus something like Ebola, which is a BSL-4 agent, is that tularemia, there is a vaccine for it. Um, it's not given out publicly. It's not licensed, but they do have some kind of vaccine that can be given for at-risk populations. Um, with the plague, there are some treatments. I mean, people do still get the bubonic plague, believe it or not, in this country. So there are treatments available, and that's what kind of defines it. You can still die from it. It's still a very... Un, you know, not fun to get disease, and it's you know something that is not necessarily common. But these are things that um, 
you would necessarily uh, you wouldn't necessarily have the immediate treatment available to the public, um, which is why they are considered BSL three, versus something like Ebola, where they're um, although now that there is a licensed vaccine and they're working on treatments because of the outbreaks, but before right now there are not exactly known licensed treatments for um, Ebola or a vaccine, um, which is why that's a BSL four agent. Would basically if you get it, there's a good chance that you might die. Um, so that is why. Um, they were looking at getting BSL-3 listed on these labs because we're still talking about some dangerous pathogens that you would want your f- first responders to possibly know about before going into a laboratory. Yeah, none of that sounds fun. <laughs> All right, perfect. Well, to move on from that, um, again, it was a very quick hearing. Uh, Karen Lewis Young didn't bring up any witnesses, um, and there was really no questions um, except, I think, uh, Chair Shane Pendergrass, you know, just was clarifying one or two things, but there wasn't any main questions about the substance of the bill. Um, so I guess that probably means that they're probably looking at a, rec- a favorable recommendation. It's hard to tell because they don't actually announce that in a committee hearing. Right, right. It kind of just happens behind the scenes. And they, they do have votes typically on Fridays, not all the time, but they'll take votes on bills and committees on Fridays um, during the session. And that's when you'll see either a favorable or unfavorable report, um, obviously with or without amendments, too, which is something to consider. So, Yes. Oh, that and that is one thing. The, um, the one question that uh, Delegate Pendergrass had was asking about where is it in the bill that this says that this is just going to affect Frederick County because it's a Frederick County delegation bill. And that's an amendment that the um, that Karen Lewis Young and the delegation added to the bill. Yeah. Uh, important to note, you know, that's it's interesting kind of the dichotomy between local legislation, statewide legislation. And like you said, this is uh, definitely in the former. So absolutely. And I think it, they called it a precedent setting bill. Um which means that, you know, maybe Frederick County starts and then Montgomery County and Hartford County, which are the two other counties that Karen Lou Shung pointed out have these, most likely have these BSL-3 labs, um, might set one next year. We shall see. Yep. All right. Well, what else um, happened with our local delegation? So another bill that they introduced and I wrote about earlier this week um, has to do with special elections uh, in our local board of education. This actually started uh, at the local level with County Executive Jan Gardner and County Councilman Steve McKay. And the impetus uh, is kind of if you're able to hold elections in the event of a vacancy on the school board during already scheduled congressional or presidential um, elections, those are at a minimal cost to do through the local board of elections. And uh, it's something that Steve McKay and Jan felt pretty strongly, you know, to return uh, that decision back to the voters, just allowing them to kind of vote for someone to fill their seat. It's kind of a technical bill um, in terms of timing and whatnot, but the way it works is that essentially if the vacancy occurs 30 days or more before the filing deadline during a a primary year, then uh, a special election uh, could occur. And essentially, you know, through our processes and how our local Board of Education elections work, that suppose you had three seats up in the fall for election and there was a vacancy that came up, well, then you'd have the three board seats, you know, that would be elected and then the next highest vote getter would slide into that vacant seat. So it's just an interesting uh, proposal. Again, I think McKay, Gardner's, and kind of everyone's impetus, including Delegate Pippi, who kind of, again, gave brief testimony for that bill. Um, it was actually last Friday at this point. Uh, but he just basically uh, feels that 
and others that it's important to return that decision back to the voters in terms of filling what is a pretty important um, decision. I mean, the Board of Education oversees a $600 plus million budget, uh, half of which is funded at the state level with state funds, roughly half. So um, it's not like this board is inconsequential. They're making a lot of uh, tough decisions about the 40 plus thousand students in Frederick County. Well, in at face value, you almost think this bill is, you know, like as you said, a technical bill and almost to the point where you're like, oh, why are we even having a bill like this? But we had two vacancies in the past year. They <laughs> right, didn't go to right. special that- election. They ended up being appointed by Jen. So there is a, you know, there's a precedent for why they they have this bill, I guess, up this year. Right. I, I think it's important to note that um, this bill, even if it's enacted, applies to a really tight time frame. I think roughly it would apply to essentially the first year of a, a board member's term for kind of if that vacancy were to occur, that a special election were to happen. But it's nice to, you know, the hypothetical that some of the when uh, Jesse Pippi went in front of Ways and Means on the House side, some of the, the committee members were questioning, well, this is something I guess you want to have in case, uh, God forbid, uh, a Board of Education member dies two weeks after he or she is elected. Then this is kind of like that scenario where this would kind of fall into place and where you could have someone filing um, for a special election, which is kind of a misnomer. I mean, it's a special election because you typically don't have that many seats being up. Uh, but it also is being scheduled, like I said, into regularly uh, congressional election cycles. All right. Perfect. Well, anything else that came out of our delegation of note this week? So Dan Cox, Delga Dan Cox, uh, in response to if anybody followed the Great Frederick Fair uh, last fall, there was an incident where there was a deadly assault and a, a citizen by the name of John Weed out of Mount Airy died. Um, and Dan Cox pretty much very quickly after that incident happened, introduced uh, an update uh, or a proposal to update the state's uh, hate crime statute, pretty much saying that if anyone spits on anybody, smears bodily fluids, uh, defecates, you know, any sort of action along those lines, that that should be included in the state hate crime statute. And he recently dropped the bill. I caught up with him uh, today to discuss it. He said it's not in its final form, uh, but it's getting close. Uh, it's basically, uh, in terms of, you know, legal judo, in terms of getting the right words in um, and just making sure that you're not causing any unintended consequences. But I will say, Heather, that compared to when this first came out, there were a lot of similarities, especially uh, within, you know, what constitutes a hate crime in this situation. That includes spitting, that includes uh, smearing and kind of actions along those lines. So this is a bill that I said, it you know, in our first episode leading up to session that I'd be following and uh, he's got it in the hopper so to speak and we'll see where it goes from there but and you should mention that this is a a bill that delegate cox wrote because in the um fair great fair frederick fair assault um one of the young men in involved in it allegedly spit on john weed after he was on the ground and that's kind of why right. they're cl- trying to make it a hate crime. Thanks for uh, filling. That is exactly um, what prompted, uh, you know, some may have seen the videos that were circling on so- circulating on social media and exactly, Heather, that was kind of what prompted Cox when he saw that to kind of look at changing this part of the state code. All right. So I kind of want to interrupt with, um, you know, the whole, I interrupt this podcast for breaking news. Um, so Jeremy Arias, who is our crime and courts reporter, was sitting outside of a courthouse today. Um, Basically, it was a closed courthouse because this case has been sealed, but he was waiting to find out if um, 
the the two brothers in the um the great Frederick Fair assault um if those cases would be heard and uh would be adjudicated in the adult system or continue to be in the juvenile system um that is a decision that has not been made yet I'm hearing it might be February 18th um and I believe they're mostly focused on the 15 year old but I think they might have been discussing both the 15 and the 16 year old during this case um and those two brothers um the 15 year old who is allegedly thought to have thrown the fatal punch um they're charged with man's or he's charged with manslaughter two counts of first degree assault um and his brother is uh, charged with two counts of second degree assault so manslaughter and a first degree assault um and some other charges for the 15 year old and second degree assault for the 16 year old yeah, this I remember I was initially reporting on how these charges would have formulated and there's a lot of discussion about whether uh, murder charges were going to be filed. But uh, as you kind of stated, those never uh, formulated. And uh, I know that there was a lot of discussion in the community about what was going to be filed and whether these people should be tried as adults uh, or not. Um, so it's very interesting, you know, to get into the technical aspects, but um, everyone seems to have an answer. Uh, you know, I'll, I know when I talked to Charlie Smith, the Frederick County State's Attorney, that, you know, everyone becomes a lawyer in these situations. And it, it's really important to, you know, look at the law and how it's been applied in prior cases and uh, try and be objective, as tricky as that might be. So definitely all you, what you described, it, it's technical, but it's important. So, Yeah, and so um, I said two, two counts of first-degree assault. It's first-degree assault and two counts of second-degree assault for this 15-year-old. Um, and we're hoping that there will be um, some word. I know that Jeremy spent a lot of time sitting on the uncomfortable courtroom floor or courthouse floor outside of the courtroom trying to find out if the judge would make a decision. But... Um, Hopefully by February 18th, we'll at least know um, where that system will be or where they will be adjudicated. Um, because if it's a juvenile um, case, it makes it a little bit harder. Um, those cases can be sealed and we might not actually get to witness the court hearing. Where if they're, you know, the, at least the 15-year-old um, is charged as an adult, that makes it a little bit more public and um, changes how we can cover that court case. Very true, Heather. Very true points. But interesting to see that the bill um went you know was dropped i know that there are some other hate crime bills that are also um brought up either in the house or senate if i'm correct that's right um kind of a good segue here heather is that when i was talking to delegate cox today um one of the things that he's confident in is especially the spitting aspect you know, we have a rise across i think the spitting part is the strongest part because we have a rise now in fact we just heard a hate crime bill i think it was yesterday the day before in my committee where they actually had uh, mentioned and i'm going to vote for it spit on someone spitting was that that is a concerns. hate so either through this bill or maybe through an amendment so we'll see. He's kind of said, kind of said he has to see where his bill fits in and all that. It might he might end up uh, withdrawing the bill and adding it as an amendment on another bill. You know, there's a lot of forms that this could take. But he told me he wanted to get this in the hopper as the the deadline has kind of already passed. And um, you know, the longer you wait now, man, getting anything passed in uh, the form of a bill is a pretty monumental task right now. So. All right. And, um, well, speaking of bills, anything else that um, has come up in the past couple of days that, you know, as people were getting their bills in? 
So yeah, Delegate uh, Ken Kerr has an interesting proposal. Again, another technical bill, but it basically allows uh, anyone who lives a long distance, so whether it be uh, a 30-minute uh, commute or 40 miles away uh, from an institution of higher education publicly in the state, that allows uh, the those students to go to a nonprofit, and what that would mean uh, a nonprofit higher edu uh, education institution, which would mean for us, Hood College or Mount St. Mary's, it would allow them to attend those universities at the tuition rates set at the public universities. Yeah, well, the, the Hagerstown Regional Higher Education Center has really minimal programming, very little of which is going to prepare Frederick County students, Frederick County college students for the types of careers we're attracting to Frederick with um, with the biomed, biotech, um, pharmaceutical manufacturing that are all required bachelors of science degrees. They're simply just not offered at the Hagerstown Regional Higher Education Center. The other objection was that I had considered the universities of Shady Grove, but I, actually I had. The universities of Shady Grove is over 30 miles away, and it's a, it's a south commute on, on Route 270 right. that, that we all know is not an attractive option <laughs> so the also you know if, if you look at the at students who complete Montgomery College and live in Rockville University of Shady Grove is two and a half miles from Rockville and it's a really easy reverse commute north on 270 to take these jobs in the biomed biotech pharmaceutical um, industries so it again places uh, Frederick County students at a distinct disadvantage that we're attracting all these great jobs to Frederick that Frederick County uh, young people uh, don't have access to because they can't get the the entry-level career training that they need locally. Um, so he had a hearing for that uh, this week. Uh, he's actually attached an amendment because uh, some of the local feedback he got from Hood and Mount St. Mary's was uh, this 2 plus 2 scholarship program. And what that scholarship program does is that if you go to community college uh, and, you know, want to proceed onto, you know, a four-year university, it offers scholarships of 1000 or $2,000, depending on what you study. Kerr added an amendment, which was included in the hearing this week, that basically allows for, you know, the full ride, full annual tuition and fees. So that's how he got the support of kind of Hood and Mount St. Mary's to jump on and others. And again, it has yet, well, is yet to see how this progresses. Um, I think since he has the support of two uh, universities or colleges in our jurisdiction, that um, that's a good sign. Um, I know uh, there's been some opposition in saying that, well, you don't want to divide, uh, divert uh, state funds into private institutions, uh, but it remains to be seen, um, you know, how the bill progresses. This was her in the Appropriations Committee on the House side this week. So just so I'm understanding this, it's that if you live 30 minutes or 40 miles away from a public institution, but you live close to a private institution, you can take classes at that private institution for the same in-state 
tuition costs at a public university? Right, and it, it pretty much allows you to kind of, there's a lot of course sharing. So ideally, you be if you can't go to the, the public institution for the coursework that you would want to go to, that the, the private institution will be able to offer some sort of equivalent. It might not be a carbon copy, but it will help you stay on that track. And I might be, to be honest, and just full disclaimer, I keep flipping the 30 and 40 number, whether it's a 30-minute drive or a 40-mile. But as you can tell, it's obviously for commuter students. I mean, that's one of the main uh, aspects of the bill um, is that, you know, Ken, when he was talking to me initially about it, is that a lot of these students, you know, have to, you know, help with the family around, around the house with the family, work a job, and, you know, they can't afford to live on campus or they can't afford, you know, all the costs with college. So this is in part meant to address that. So I live closer to Hood College and I can't go to, you know, I can't stay on campus at Maryland. So now I can take classes at Hood for a cheaper cost. That's that's essentially it in a nutshell because Hood College is, um, you know, it's a good education education but you look at some of the tuition rates and before scholarships or anything and they offer a lot of financial aid but it can get pretty pricey definitely more so than University of Maryland, University of Loyola, Maryland. I'm just riling them all off. You know, the public institutions are a little bit cheaper. So that's, that's uh, like you said, that's kind of the incentive to help, you know, students save some, some money. Well, um, I think it's that time of our episode to uh, find a fun fact that happened in Annapolis. So what was something that maybe not be fun, but may have some local ties or just been a little bit different in Annapolis for this week? Right. So uh, there was a bill in the Senate, and um, it's basically a ban on intentionally uh, releasing balloons into the atmosphere. Now, those Sounds who might, familiar. <laughs> right. Those who uh, know my county coverage know that Councilman Kai Hagen introduced a very similar proposal, which passed by a 5-2 to two vote uh, in December. And so this uh, bill in the Senate passed uh, 38 to 8 uh, yesterday, I believe, which was Tuesday. Um, Clarence Lamb is the lead sponsor on this bill. Uh, and coincidentally, him and Huff, I wrote in kind of a political notes column, debated this on the floor uh, last week uh, in terms of how effective the bill would be. Senator Huff was indeed one of the eight no votes. And I just got, uh, you know, updated comment from him today saying that, you know, he believes that this is covered in the state litter law. And if the litter law was being enforced, it'd be a $1,500 uh, penalty um, instead of the $250 civil infraction, which is proposed under Lamb's bill. Um, and it just feels that, you know, this is kind of piling on, you know, if we delineate everything, we're going to have a tire dumping ban. We're going to have, that's kind of, we're going to have, you know, a plastic bag ban. You know, if we delineate out, it's going to be a lot of bills to kind of enforce. And he's just uh, in favor of enforcing the things and laws that we have on the books right now. Um, but it remains to be seen. I mean, this passed through the Senate and still needs to get through the House. There hasn't been a vote there yet, but uh, it's definitely uh, interesting for sure to see a local issue permeate and percolate up to the state level. Well, we were joking in the office that um, Kai Hagan and I guess Senator Lamb, who introduced the bill, um, are going to be celebrating both balloons, but of course not by releasing them, but possibly by popping them. <laughs> that's uh, that's one way of looking at it, I guess. That's actually, <laughs> that's actually pretty funny. But um, yeah, like I said, it, you know, I think the thing I've learned, one of the major ideas is that just because a bill down here in Annapolis gets through one chamber doesn't mean it's going to get through 
the other chamber. So we'll see. I mean, I think that there are a lot of environmentally conscious people on the House delegate side, but um, it remains to be seen. I think Senator Huff has a point in that, you know, we have littering laws already in the books that are of harsher con uh, consequence money-wise. So, but we'll see how it progresses the rest of the way. All right, perfect. Well, Steve, it sounds like you had a busy week. Uh, I don't want to take up any more of your time, so I'm going to let you go. Uh, and we will check in again next week. Heather, it's always a pleasure. Thanks. All right, perfect. In Session is produced by me, Heather Mangilio, and Steve Bonell. It is edited by Graham Cullen. Mm -hmm.